2: All oysters are different, right? Like, every wine's different. A wine, the grape grows from a certain growing region. It has a certain characteristics of the soil. And so the same can be said of an oyster. Um, An oyster is a reflection of, immediate reflection of the water body that it was harvested from.
1: I'm Robin Sessingham, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and southern charm. We're all about food in Florida. Support for the Zest podcast comes from Seitenbacher brand natural foods like muesli cereals, oils, oatmeal, energy bars, gluten free fruit gummies for the kids, organic coffee, and more. Available in supermarkets, health food stores, or online at com. In the last couple of years, the harvest of wild caught oysters has gone down by half. But the amount of farmed oysters has doubled in that time. And there's definitely a market demand for the shellfish. So aqua farmers are trying out more areas of Florida to grow oysters outside of Apalachicola, which is where you usually think of oysters growing. Brian Rossiger is one of these pioneering oyster farmers. Last year, he and his wife started their small business, Lost Coast Oysters, in Terracea Aquatic Preserve, at the mouth of Tampa Bay. It's a very labor-intensive process. Reporter Jessica Mazaros recently took a ride with Brian deep into the mangroves as he worked on his floating farm.
0: What made you want to start farming oysters in the Tampa Bay region?
2: Well, I, I I wanted to farm oysters at any cost, and I said, well, you know, I, I'd like to try to do it some someplace in like Cedar Key or the Big Bend region where it's more prevalent. And uh, then I did a little bit of research, and I saw that there were people that were growing clams already in Tampa Bay. They've been doing it for 15, 20 years, and um, so I, you know, if they can grow clams, then I can try to grow oysters. And um, the real you know, red tape that had to get moved out of the way was the full water column uh, aquaculture. Prior to this regulatory change, farmers could only use the bottom in six inches, and it didn't enable them to do the kind of off-bottom farming that's being done in other places in the country. And so that happened in 2016. Um, And... It's, it's, it's experienced a lot of growth in the um, in the Gulf region I mean there are now well over a hundred farms in the state of Florida alone in, in an industry where there might have been you know five uh, several years ago so it's um it, it's, it's more of a commentary on, on the way that we we are consuming seafood now um Aquacultured seafood now, as par- in terms of the global market share, uh, exceeds that of wild catch fisheries. So, um, you know, there is a an agricultural revolution that's like, happening right now, and it's just happening in the oceans.
0: And why was it important... Um for you to um, to get the to be able to use the full water column versus just the well, bottom.
2: I mean, otherwise, it's a um, you know places in Massachusetts, for instance, they have these wide um, tidal fluctuations, eight nine feet in a day. So they have exposed mud flats where they can drive tractors out and set work their gear at low tide, and then the tide comes in and they feed their animals. Um, we don't have that big tidal range here, and. This becomes a very labor intensive endeavor if you have to go get all your oysters off the bottom every time you come out to your farm so um, by farming them at the surface, we're exposing them to um, more food availability because there's great there's better sunlight penetration, higher counts of phytoplankton. It also makes it easier for us to um, to farm them and, and to handle them on a daily basis, and they also get exposed to some you know good environmental benefits out here, you know, these waves and winds that kind of tumble and cup the shell to tend to it, make it uh, grow into a, a deeper thick cup oyster rather than a long scissor bill.
0: And are you the only one who um, is, that you know of, or are you the only one who's doing this right now in Tampa Bay with a full water column growing
2: uh, oysters? I am, we, we are the only full water column oyster lease in Tampa Bay. Uh, I do know that there are um, some other folks that are going to be going through this process and getting their leases as well and um we're we're just excited to be part of it to you know be part of this kind of growing community
0: you're like a founder
2: (laughs) yeah a founder to a certain degree you know i can't take all the credit because um i'm just doing what's being done in in other parts of the state and and throughout the country it's just uh it's new to this region
0: and um and you, when we spoke on the phone, you mentioned that clam people who grow clams here helped you out a lot. How so? Y-
2: yeah. So, I mean, um, th- there's a hatchery that I get all my shellfish from. And it's uh, the Bay Shellfish Company run by a guy named Kurt Hamill. And Kurt Hamill has been in the industry for about uh, 25 years or so. And, um, you know, he introduced me to, like, you know, a network of of, of people and and that are doing clamming in the region and so it's um it's just been a, a great relationship to have
0: and you mentioned um that you just knew you had to get into oysters why is that why is that something that you felt like it was just a part of you that you needed to get done at some point somewhere
2: well i i always wanted to be like a, a waterman. i wanted to grow up on the water i mean i i i wanted to do something on the water i went to uh you know i grew up in lakeland florida on Lake Luther Road. I went to Lake Gibson High School. I was right across the street from Lake Deeson. My dad worked for Game and Fish. You know, I, I needed to do something in the water. And um, oysters present, like, this unique opportunity to do something really interesting and also give back and kind of, you know, satiate that yearning desire to, to, to be on the water.
0: What's been this experience like for you so far? I mean, first of all, getting the from, like... What did it take to get the lease first of all?
2: So it was about a um, two and a half to three year process. You know um, you're obviously having to go through the appropriate channels with the, the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Uh, there are a lot of you know user group conflicts between uh, fishermen, existing waterway uses. So siting is a concern for shellfish farmers. You know you have to find that kind of perfect spot that's of the right depth that's not impact- impacting any um, existing resources not in the middle of a channel you have to worry about somebody coming and running through it so um, sighting was a concern but once we got through that process you know we were kind of confronted with this harsh reality like okay now we have a piece of paper that says we can do this but we have no means we don't have any money we don't have a boat we're just kind of you know making it up as we go along and so At that point, I did what I think a lot of people do is you find somebody um, smarter than you that can help out. And that person was my wife because, you know, she helped us get um, a small business loan. And she deals with now more of that kind of administrative side of the business. And I can just focus on the farming
0: and um so you were able to get the small business zone and then figure out like what equipment you needed to get and the boat and everything
2: yeah so it was just a, um, a product of lots of research and studying and, and you know um getting help from the growers uh that are, were already doing this you know one thing that was really helpful for us was we uh spent a, a weekend last year at something called the oyster south symposium it's a coalition a nonprofit of growers throughout the southeast region and um and you know the the amount of support that we got from you know competitors people that that you're you're entering the business to directly compete with them the amount of uh, information and knowledge that people are willing to share I, it says more um it says a lot about the, the aquaculture industry in itself and that it is this um industry where everybody is trying to help everybody else succeed because we recognize the the merits of it
0: and what do you hope is the future of, um, what do you hope that you're building here? Like you're in kind of in the front lines of, of oysters in, in the Tampa Bay area. And so I'm wondering, what do you what do you hope the future will, will look like here with oysters?
2: So um, I, I know right now we're, we're growing for, um, you know, food consumption. Uh, we're farming them f- for the restaurants. But in the future, I'd like to, you know, possibly look at, at, at restoration type work and see you know, what we can do from the perspective of a farmer that grows oysters and how that, you know, fits into this larger picture of oyster restoration. I think that there's a lot of kind of um, misguided, happy-go-lucky feeling out there when somebody goes and plants a big bag of shells somewhere and they say, we created an oyster reef. It's like, no, you created a bag of shells that one day might be an oyster reef. Um, And they, you know, these projects, they do work, they do become oyster reefs, um, but it's all about the siting of them, right? You have to have them in a place where natural larval recruitment can occur. So if we take what we learn with aquaculture and um, we can potentially parlay that into um, some type of a restoration effort, and um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So it's not
0: even just, so like, this is not even just about like food or an industry for growers. It's also an environmental question because you also had mentioned in our previous conversation that um, there's a stigma of the the environment, about the water quality in Tampa Bay. So what kind of stigma do you think you're facing? And also just kind of like um, showing a different side of the water quality here.
2: So um, I, I like to think about what... Um, aquaculture's role in water quality and as it, as it being part of the solution, right? Um, when we look at Tampa Bay, we know that the historic levels of seagrass uh, that we saw in the fifties, we've now surpassed that. We had some um, significant uh, setbacks from, you know, unchecked sewage and, and, uh, you know, dredging and filling and the creation of all of these artificial islands that we did. Um, but all in all, the the health of the bay has increased dramatically. Seagrasses are at a population or coverage now than where they were prior to the 50s. So, the bay has made huge strides in, in improvements in water quality. And um, I'm just excited to see what what you know where shellfish aquaculture falls into all that because it is part of the solution, right? Um, one mature oyster filters upwards of 50 gallons of water a day. So, two acres here, if I had Half a million oysters. That's uh, twenty-five million. No, yeah, twenty-five million gallons of water a day. Twenty-five Olympic swimming pools. And you
0: mentioned that you might be planning on harvesting in April and May. I know you don't. You can't really tell how many you'll have, but like, what would be a good number for you? Like, what number would you be happy with in uh, harvesting? I'd be happy
2: if we brought like thirty thousand oysters to market this summer. I think. Um, you know, we have a lot of things to learn from a perspective of growing. Um, we just wanna we we, we want to give it a shot and just see if it's viable.
0: So, in terms of like food and taste, so I know that sometimes these these break up, and well, can you just describe like how do you um, do you ever taste these and what do they taste like?
2: Yeah, so um, you know, I, I occasionally when I'm culling these apart, one of them will break every now and then, and I'll taste them, and they're very salty. are our, our growing. Uh, area here salinity is about 30 parts per thousand 28 to 30 so um, they have a really briny uh, punch to them
0: and um, how might that be different from other oysters how how do your oysters taste compared to what you've had in the in the past
2: so um you know they all oysters are different right uh like every wine's different a wine uh, the 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 grape grows from a certain growing region it has a certain characteristics of the soil and so the same can be said of an oyster um, you know it it, it it an oyster is a reflection of immediate reflection of the water body that it was harvested from so um, yeah they're, they're salty here
0: so how do you like to eat your oysters
2: uh just a, a little pinch of lime to kind of counterbalance it and write down the hatch no no filter basically. and why is that uh you know it's just it's just the. i think it's the way that oyster was meant to be uh consumed now doesn't mean i don't eat rockefeller i don't eat tabasco from time to time but uh, my favorite way to eat an oyster is just raw on the half shell
0: and what is that um for how what kind of a flavor does that bring out how would you describe that for somebody who's maybe never had it like that
2: Well, when you first put it in your mouth, you know, you get a little bit of the the liquor, the oysters liquor with it. And you get this like punch of brine, like right from the sea. And then as you chew and you bite into it, it releases like this this sweet kind of texture of chewing the the, the muscle, the adductor muscle. And you know, after you swallow and you finish, you know, the finishing note, it it depends on the um, region where it was grown. You know, it could be fruity, nutty, buttery, um, minerally, uh, the the list of acronyms go on, and our adjectives go on and on.
0: And how do you think your aftertaste will will be like, or what is your your goal?
2: I think we're going to have some grassy notes. You know, we're surrounded by a lot of grass flats here. Um, also, there are a lot of mangroves around, so we might have some of that kind of taste profile. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Very rarely does does food imitate art or become art just kind of inherently and and oysters are art i mean you're um you have this very hardened exterior and the inside is a soft gooey tasty thing and um you know it's one of the only animals that we eat where we eat the entire animal there's no um waste product i mean the shell obviously but um yeah it's just a very uniquely visceral experience that that you don't find a whole lot in our food universe
0: And do you feel like, so this is your art project?
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, um, there are a lot of different things that you can do to these oysters to make them grow differently. Um, You know, like you can see on on this one here, it has this new growth of the lip of the shell. And by taking it and putting it through the tumbler, you're, you're crushing off that growing, that lip there. And you're encouraging them to grow thicker and deeper so you can, you know, kind of bend... Uh, or, or mold the shell uh, into growing uh, something that's going to have more meat. It's going to be um, more desirable on a plate.
0: I don't know if you've thought about this, but do you um, do you hope that like your particular oysters will have a flavor so when somebody eats this, they might be like, "Oh, that's Brian's oyster."
2: Yeah, well, yeah. You know, I think that's part of the idea, right? Is is creating a brand, and um, you know, the long stigma has been that that Gulf oysters are a certain variety, and what we've found through this revolution that's happening in the southeast is that. Um, we have branded oysters coming out of Alabama. We have branded oysters coming out of the Panhandle that are um, have names like like uh, you know like Outlaw or Murder Point or Salty Bird that are on par with the the Well Fleets and the you know uh, Green Points and the ones that you're familiar with from the Northeast. So um, it, it just shows that it's all in the um, the connotation of the word Gulf oyster and it's not in, in, in what the actual oyster is. Cause if you focus on that, you can see that you can create, um, you know, a brand opportunity here as well.
0: So can you just describe for, for those who can't see or know what you're doing? Like, what is different about how you're harvesting these oysters? Cause you know, they're floating, like just kind of summarize your process of growing an oyster. What does it take?
2: Yeah. So we purchase, uh, oyster from a, a we, juvenile oysters from a, a hatchery, and they come to us about the size of a cornflake. And we stock them in floating bags out at our farm. And as they grow through the process, we move them up into larger and larger bags, uh, or larger and larger, whole-sized bags, so that uh, they can have more access to nutrients and water coming through to them. And um, you know, through this handling process, we culture a you know premium, top-shelf product that... that has a more uniform size that restaurants look for rather than something that you, um, you know, pluck off the bottom of the bay.
0: So they're floating around and then you um, you kind of pull them out and they're, so they're like the size of a nickel right now. What do you hope the size to be when you?
2: So we're going to harvest them when they're three, two, one, right? Three inches long, two inches wide and one inch deep. So um, we might have some that are getting close to that, but nothing quite uh, that size yet little guy. So what are you about to do? We're gonna taste the first oyster we've had out of this lease and just kind of see a little quality control check here and see if we can get them open. Peel off that top shell, Cut across the top, a little bit of the adductor muscle right there. Bon Appetit. Salty as can be.
1: That was reporter Jessica Mazaros with Brian Rossiger, owner of Lost Coast Oysters. We've got some pictures of Brian and the oysters on our website, thezestpodcast.com. And while you're there, check out our collection of Florida-centric recipes, like a whitefish ceviche with avocado, mango, and tomato. Thanks so much for listening. Subscribe to The Zest. It's free and it's easy. If you like what you hear, give us a rating on iTunes. I'm Robin Sussingham. Delia Cologne and I produce the Zest with help from Megan Trimble, Mark Hayes, and Craig George. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media.